Welcome to MH Business Exchange, the podcast of McDonald Hopkins. I'm your host, Mike Witzke, and with me today is Christine Saprinsky. She's a member of our data privacy practice group and based in our Detroit office. Uh, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So our topic today, Christine, is cybersecurity trends for 2020. And so now that we're we're into 2020, can you give us some insight as to the top cybersecurity and data privacy trends for the coming year? Sure. Well, I can try. <laughs> it's always <laughs> difficult to sort of gaze into the crystal ball and try to see what might be coming down the pike um, in terms of cybersecurity and data privacy risks. Um, for for businesses, for municipalities, for uh, public and private institutions, anyone out there. Um, but we do our best to to take take sort of the temperature of what's happening and what we expect to see. And one of the unique aspects of 2020 is the presidential election, the general election in November, obviously, and then the primary uh, elections leading up to that. Um, and election security has really become a top priority for both the federal government and state and local government agencies. So these agencies have, since 2016, if not before, been uh, assessing the level of risk of election systems and computers and taking necessary steps to mitigate any risks to those systems. Uh, that's an effort to restore public confidence in the security of voting and just to you know, overall ensure that security. So elections commissions and respective state and local agencies that provide support to, to those commissions uh, should be and are on high alert for, for all kinds of security threats that are out there. So that is one unique aspect that we're seeing this year. Another area that we're seeing uh, some, some increased um, interest is on remote access. So one of the things that some employers are doing is offering uh, remote access to their workforce, sort of a, a perk to employees uh, to, to allow them to work from home or work from other remote locations. Um, we have consistently seen remote access tools being exploited by criminals and threat actors. Um, and we're just uh, anticipating sort of an uptick in that as many uh, employers are sort of moving in that direction of allowing remote access uh, to their workforce. So that kind of thing just requires uh, employers to really be, be on top of things in terms of what are the most secure ways to offer remote access into their system uh, and what, what kinds of vulnerabilities should they be looking out for so that they can avoid that kind of an attack on their system. Are there some cybersecurity risks that just seem to trend year after year after year? Yes, for sure. We consistently see ransomware and business email compromise. Those remain at the top of our list year to year uh, as top cybersecurity threats. One of the new twists on ransomware uh, that, that just sort of started in December 2019 is that there are uh, several variants of ransomware now that at least purport to have the ability to collect and release data in the event that the ransom is not paid. So the way that businesses normally deal with this is they have been shoring up their backups so that if in the event they are hit with a 
a ransomware infection, and they are attempted to be ransomed uh, to get a decryption key to return their data, if they have sufficient and viable backups, they may be in a position to say, we don't need to pay the ransom, we're not going to pay. The twist now for some of these variants that we just started to see, and we're starting to see some alerts from, from law enforcement and other agencies about this, is that the, this new layer of complexity is that the threat actors say, not just, if you don't pay me, I'm not going to give you the decryption key. They also say, if you don't pay me, I'm going to publicly release your data. Now, whether or not they actually have the ability to do that remains to be seen. And that's certainly something that would need to be assessed in the event of some kind of ransomware infection where this, this layer of complexity has been added. So businesses now that do have viable backups and would normally say, that means our decision is we don't need to pay the ransom to get our data back. Now they may have to assess whether there is really a legitimate threat that their data may be made publicly available if they don't pay. So that's just one of the new kind of areas of ransomware that we're seeing. And with respect to business email compromise, that just is one that happens year in and year out. And it just keeps happening because it works. Threat actors are able to very often uh, get in the middle of legitimate email communications between, often between businesses and their customers or businesses and vendors right around the time that invoices are coming due. So these, these threat actors get into systems through a variety of ways, potentially exploiting these remote access tools that I identified before. Um, but once they're in, then they kind of watch the the communication between the business and these vendors or customers, and they wait for their opportunity to say, oh, hey, we know that this invoice is due. We have changed our banking information. Can you please send the payment to this account now instead of this other account that we had? And often it, the, the communication appears to be so legitimate that the business that is impacted will sometimes pay uh, to this new account that ends up being a fraudulent account. And so this is one of those threats that we don't see going away. It's not really a new trend for 2020, but it's just one that has stuck around and will continue to stick around in our estimation. What, what about the legislative front? Do you anticipate any big federal or state law changes in the cybersecurity area? We do. So the California Consumer Privacy Act became effective January 1st of this year. Um, and California has other times in the past sort of set the, the standard for data privacy or cybersecurity legislation. We're already seeing a number of other states that uh, have introduced and are considering similar legislation. And we expect that number to grow. So we're taking, uh, taking care to keep a close eye on all of the legislation that is being introduced in these various states and making some uh, assessments about the ways in which those proposed bills are similar to the California law and different from the California law. 
One of the other areas that we expect um, to see continued discussion is on the, the federal the, the federal front. So for many, many years, uh, federal data breach notification legislation has been introduced. Um, and we expect that that is going to stay the same this year, that there's going to be some uh, federal legislation being debated and discussed. Whether it goes anywhere sort of remains to be seen, but we do expect there to be just a continued focus from legislators on this issue. And as a result of that, what we're also seeing is increased regulatory scrutiny so that the regulators that are tasked with assessing security incidents that could be uh, data breaches that could have ramifications for notification or other uh, are, are stepping up their scrutiny of these incidents. They're asking more questions. They're making more demands. They're asking to see uh, internal policies and procedures relating to compliance with these more comprehensive privacy laws in California and Massachusetts and New York and other, other states. And so this, this is an area that we see as a continued growth area, uh, legislation and uh, regulator scrutiny. And so if I've got a business that operates across state lines, um, you know, going back to like the California Act and how some states are kind of piggybacking on that, does that mean I need to be aware really of the, the, the cybersecurity laws in each of the states that I may come across? Unfortunately, it does. I mean, it, many of these states, the, the data breach notification statutes, and then also the uh, more comprehensive privacy laws, that are being introduced are applicable to each state's residents. And so if you have a business that operates in many states and collects personal information on residents of those different states, you may have different obligations for the individuals with whom you interact who are residents of one state versus another. So it does get to be somewhat complex and confusing to have to identify this patchwork of state data privacy and cybersecurity laws to ensure that you're compliant with each state's law uh, in which you operate. And, and we won't even get into operating across uh, you know, international lines as well. I'm sure that adds <laughs> another layer of complexity. Are there specific industry sectors that maybe are more at risk than others in the, in the coming year? Well, what we have found is that really no business, no organization is immune from cyber attack. So cyber criminals tend to attack organizations in all industries and, and all sizes of, of businesses as well. You know, one might expect that only the very large companies are, can be targets, but we have found that, that very small companies can be as well. One trend that we're following for 2020 is this, the idea of the state-sponsored cyber attacks. And these kinds of attacks hit financial, energy, and utility, and infrastructure targets. And so there could be a lot of companies out there that may think, well, we're not, we're not the kinds of targets of these kinds of attacks. Of, uh, you know, we're not high-profile enough to be attacked by by these state-sponsored attacks. Um, and, and it's just difficult to know if that's really true. 
So we're seeing state-sponsored cyber attacks from a number of different uh, countries and jurisdictions, and we get alerts on those from the Department of Homeland Security and other other, uh, law enforcement agencies that sort of identify potential threats. Certainly in in the wake of the, the rising tensions with Iran, there were some warnings there about potentially increased uh, cyber attacks, and there have been others as well. And so it, we do think it's incumbent on businesses of all sizes and in all industries to really pay attention to what risks may exist and to use you know, the, the existence of all of these risks that we've identified as you know, some of the trends that might, might hit in 2020 as a reason to you know, circle back to data inventory, data mapping, data assessment, and uh, implementation of data privacy and cybersecurity policies and procedures to really mitigate against all of these threats and risks and, and put themselves in the best possible position to, to respond to any regulatory scrutiny or deal with any kind of security incident that might come their way. Well, Christine, thanks uh, for being here today and kind of sharing with all of us the, you know, kind of what's what's happening now and what may be coming in the area of, of cybersecurity issues. Um, I want to thank our listeners as well and direct them to mcdonaldhopkins.com, our website, to get more information about this topic and, and other topics. And again, um, thanks, Chris. Thank you. 